Hi everyone and welcome back to episode two of the Life Bath podcast. I just wanted to start by saying a massive thank you for all the love that episode one got. It was truly overwhelming to receive all your messages and your tweets and thank you so much for listening and sharing. It was just amazing and I'm glad that you decided to click again because we've got a fantastic episode two coming up. I wanted to start by mentioning our fantastic sponsor, the Relish Coffee Company and Relish Cafe in Whitley Bay. If you haven't been in yet and you find yourself near, you have to go in and sample their coffee. It is the best coffee in all of the Northeast, in my opinion. They roast their own coffee beans and you can purchase them either in the coffee shop or online. Just search Relish Coffee Company. Uh, Their coffee is actually what gets me up in the morning now. uh, So it's uh, the only thing that keeps me awake. So definitely check them out. Right, let's get on to episode two. So this week, I'm joined by the lovely Naomi from the blog Nomi Palomi. Naomi is a feminist family blogger. And if you're not following her on Instagram, then you really need to because she's absolutely hilarious and just so real. I chat to Naomi all about parenting and why she's passionate about feminism and the fight for equality and why it's also all right to have hairy pits. So keep listening and enjoy. Hi, Naomi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for being my second guest on the, on the Life Bath podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you very much. It's uh, it's great. I've uh, followed your Instagram and your blog and everything for a while. And um, I love how passionate you are about things. So I thought it would be fantastic to get you on and, and talk about your life and things that are really important to you and, and how you navigate through this crazy, crazy world. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> So I thought we'd just start off by um, telling us a little bit about your blog and, and how it came to be. Oh, well, actually, it's a good time to be doing this because it's actually tomorrow is my three year blogging anniversary. Wow. So it's been three years already. Um, so my blog is called Nomi Poloni, which is a weird name and one that I'm not quite sure whether I regret or not. But like I really struggled to choose a name and I, but I didn't, I was starting it as a kind of, mom parent blog but I didn't mm-hmm. want to be defined by that because I didn't just want to talk about just that and then also I think as you kind of go through your blogging career like you can outgrow it quite quickly mm-hmm. like what do you do when the kids grow up so I wanted a name that was that would last and Nomi Poloni is my nickname from my family so Naomi Nomi Poloni so my family will call me Nomi or Omi or right. Nomi Poloni and stuff like that um and then in Polari slang I think Poloni means woman. So I was right. like, oh, well, because I like to talk about feminism quite a lot. So I was like, well, that I'll go with that name. And so that's what I've got. It's a, the blog's about yeah, basically anything I really want to talk about. But a lot of it is family-based, um, parenting, modern motherhood, a lot of feminist stuff. Um, Has it evolved much in the three years? Like, did you start off with, like you say, mainly parenting? Has it kind of evolved quite a bit in the last three years? Mm, it's a good question I don't know really I think I've probably I don't know if the content that I put out has changed but I think that my voice might have changed a little bit like Mm -hmm. as I've got more confident and found myself more um I don't know I still probably blog about the same things that I used to uh, there's definitely posts that I look back on though and I'm like, oh, I'm cringing reading that. And like, should I delete that off the yeah. blog? But, Archive that one. Yeah, but I haven't. I've, it's it's all on there. Yeah. Um, 
So like the first posts that I did are all there and like they're not filtered at all. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So there's some things that I posted about that. I'm like, that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. Well, the strapline of your blog is feminist family blog. Yeah, it didn't used to be. So it used to be long... What, what do they call it? It's like this expression that sums up parenthood. So it's um, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that. Right. Which kind of like summed up my approach to parenting and the and the blog, like my kind of ethos around parenting. Yeah. Uh, but then I changed it because I was like, well, it doesn't really tell you what the blog's about. So it became feminist family lifestyle blog. But sometimes I wonder whether I should drop the feminist bit because I don't know whether it, I do talk about feminism a lot, but I'm not sure I talk about it on the blog enough to warrant having it on there. Right. Um, there's like certain... So my Facebook page, I talk about feminism the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Twitter and Instagram a little bit. But the blog, I do I do talk about feminism, but yeah, sometimes I have a little bit of a wrestle with whether it should be on there or not. I don't know. So you do, so you do talk about fe- feminism quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so what is it that, that makes you passionate about that? Mm, probably inequality. You, have you ever done Myers-Briggs assessments in work? No. You haven't? No. Oh, you've got to do them. They're like really illuminating. So like you do this really detailed analysis, like you answer all these questions and then it tells you about your personality type. And um, so mine it came out, but it basically said when it was analyzing me that my override need is for equality and fairness. And it is like, yeah. if I'm complaining about something, nine times out of ten it's because I think something's not fair or it's not equal or it's not just yeah um which gives me a lot of to complain about in this world (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I think feminism just comes from that like it just you know as a strong woman I'm like what no 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 like you notice inequality inequality around you and just being like no so yeah it's feminism like racial equality like all things like that I'm passionate about and it makes me quite political on my platforms like lots of um other parent and bloggers like i'll have been in groups where they'll have been saying stuff like oh well you know we mustn't get political on the blog and you know i wanted to say something political but i wouldn't and i'm there going i'm saying everything political (laughs) because i just i can't not be life's political yeah i can't hide from it so yeah that's what I love about your blog and, and also like your Instagram stories is is that level of honesty Thanks. that you just don't like, don't care. Like, did you, do you ever get any backlash from that? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I do. And I still don't care. <laughs> but yeah, the, Good. There was a, the most recent, um, like, most of the backlash is around the feminist stuff. Right. Um, there's a, and it, usually men, there's that, oh, what do they call it? It's not, there's something law. It's not Sod's Law. It's like a different, something's law. And it's basically every post about feminism, there will be a man in the comments who comes on and makes a comment that justifies the necessity of the post every single time. So every time I'll post about something, there will be a man who comes on and goes, not all men or uh, life is hard for men too, or something like that. But the most recent one was, I posted the, you've seen this hashtag come around, January, like yeah. people, like women not shaving are like, um, highlight inequality of yeah. like women having to be expected to look like prepubescent children all the time um, so I had a hairy I had a hairy pit already just because it's January um, <laughs> yeah. and I was like oh I'm going to take a picture of my hairy pit and um, post it and I did and um, some men were really really annoyed about that really outraged I got a lot of um, gifts sent to me of people puking on my on 
about my fault or of me. Yeah. And wow. a lot of men like, oh, that's so gross. I was like, oh my God, that's what I thought when I saw your face. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got to have a good comeback with And them. a lot of DMs. It's really difficult because sometimes I write the comeback and I'm like, you know what? It's just not worth yeah. it. Like, because they're Respond never going to change. Like yeah. you click through their profile and it was like, <laughs> they were all, they were either like Americans who were like, make America great again. Or like, I'm a Tory, like young men who are like, I'm a young Tory who believes in Brexit. And I'm like, (laughs) me and you, like I would actually be annoyed if you liked the stuff I was posting. So this is a compliment. Like you can just go do you. Like there's nothing that I ever, I'm ever going to say that's going to change your opinion. So if you think it's a good use of your time to put puke emojis or gifs on my post, then you go do you and I'll go live my life in a more productive way, you loser. Definitely. But yeah, it isn't, stuff like that is annoying and, it depends what kind of mood you're in as well because it can be exhausting sometimes. Like yeah. sometimes I post something and I'm like, oh, like waiting for the backlash. Um, but yeah, it's never, the backlash is never from reasonable people because yeah. reasonable people don't go around posting she things on the internet. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That post was definitely something I wanted to talk to you about oh, as really? well. That kind of... Um, of Pit kitties. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, did you have a lot of good positive outcome from it as well though? Yeah, loads of women were like, yeah, um, more positive than negative, yeah. definitely. Oh, that's... Um, yeah. I, I had done one, a post like that a year or two ago as well. And I had really hairy armpits and I'd shaved one. And then I was... Something... I had the idea for the post first. I can't remember. But anyway, so I'd, one was completely shaven and then one was quite hairy. And I did a post on Instagram showing them both and going like one... Like, it's ridiculous to say that one makes you like grosser and smellier and more disgusting than the other. Like... Can we just like yeah. let people be? Like, if you want to have a shaved armpit, fine. If you don't, fine. But yeah. like, let's stop shaming people for just their life choices. And... That's it, isn't it? It's that whole, like, women shouldn't be made to feel also that because they like to shave their pits, that they're not being a feminist or they're not. No, because it's they're up kind to of, you. It should completely be yeah. a person's choice of whether they want to do yeah. it. And it shouldn't be that if you put a top on that you can see your armpits and you've got hairy pits that anyone would even look yeah. at it because a man would have hairy pits and but even me like i believe all this stuff passionately but still like if i'm going out on a night out or to you know a wedding or something and i'm wearing a top with like i would shave because i but i I wouldn't do that if we lived in a society where it wasn't shamed yeah i'm doing it because i feel like i have to which is what annoys me about it it's like i can go out wearing makeup or go out wearing not wearing makeup and I feel like that's still a choice, but with hair removal, I don't feel like it is a choice for most women. Like you have to be really brave. Yeah. To like, so if I like right now, I'm you know it's winter. I've got my winter coat on, but like if I was going to take my daughter swimming this week, I'd feel like I had to shave like my legs. I'd feel like yeah. I had to shave my bikini line, and it's just such like I, I just hate having that choice taken away from me. And like you know, yeah, I can choose not to do that, but then it then you get responses and you get like that yeah like if i wasn't like strong i was getting getting people putting gifts of people puking about you a photo of you Mm -hmm. could really hurt your feelings um and yeah so if you if you're not confident then you're never going to stand a cat nails chance yeah exactly we need to get to a point that that because that post was about your hairy armpit and that was the point of it but if that had been you on a day out with the kids and you were reaching up with one of your kids and you just happened to have yeah. a hairy armpit people would be like oh my god what, what? like and just yeah. be and it's like that that shouldn't shouldn't matter like yeah. at all like me personally i 
don't shave because I feel like I have to. And I think I'd probably be the opposite. Like if my husband Tom was like, oh, hairy on pins are disgusting. I mean, it's not like, he doesn't like like it, but it's like, he, he would never tell me yeah. you have to shave it. And I think I'm the type of person that if he did say that, I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm definitely not now, like yeah. without without mm-hmm. a doubt. But I don't like I don't even really like hairy armpits on men. Like I'm just a I'm little tr- bit I like, try to mm. cut Mark's like Mark thinks it's gross. He's <laughs> one of those, and I'm just so I just like oh, wait till my hair's really long on my legs, and I'm like, look at it though. It's really like just stroke <laughs> it. The thing is, once you actually really grow your armpit hair really long, and then you get used to it, it actually seems really perverse to shave it off. Like you're like, oh, this is a bit weird now. It's just what you're used to, isn't it? That's, yeah. That's why I post things like that, like of me breastfeeding openly, especially like Lena turns four next month, and that's quite old to breastfeed a child. And I'm, I'll post about it and I'll talk about it because I think when you, it's all about normalizing these things. So people are weirded out by these things because they don't see them that often. So they're strange, but the more that you, that's what's great about social media. You can just show them more. And then hopefully when people see them, then they don't feel the need to like stare or comment. Like just be like, oh, well, it's just what it is, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's um, as well, your your blog and and your social media is is really focused around the parenting and, and the honesty around parenting. It's not all about the shiny side but it's not all about negative it's it's just the honest truth of life yeah and, and yeah. that's that's what it is so there's a lot of choices as well that you that you make with with your parenting that like maybe what other people would not see as the as the norm of, of yeah. like your bre- breastfeeding i'm basically just a rebel and now because i'm a mom i just do that through my parents so <laughs> it's like how can i rebel now that i've got a normal life like now i'm not like you know, in my twenties, going out, doing all the things that I used to do, I'll just try and find the way I can be most rebellious <laughs> as a parent. It's like, yeah. you want to do things this way, I'm going to do it this way. Um, yeah, no, I do. I just um, try to trust my gut, yeah. and I actually didn't expect to be the kind of parent that I am at all. Really didn't. I had totally different expectations, so it's as much of a surprise to me how a parent. I thought that I, I, I really wasn't maternal before I got pregnant and Arlo was, my first child was a surprise and I was not really ready. And I spent all my pregnancy being like terrified. I was mm-hmm. really worried I wouldn't love him. And I'd be like the last taboo of the mom who goes, nah, I'm, I'm going away, like I can't <laughs> yeah. deal with this. Um, and I thought I would be very, cause I've always been quite hard and my family's nickname for me would be the ice queen. Like right, I never okay. cried at a film. Um, always quite tough and quite no nonsense yeah so i thought as a parent i would be very rules and strict and baby doesn't sleep it can just cry and like like not and i'm completely the opposite i'm like really like as soon as i saw Arlo, i was like oh turn to mush now i cried everything and i'm very much let the kids lead the way like my whole ethos is like they are as wise as we are and they're probably wiser to be honest and i follow their lead and i trust yeah. their, that they know themselves better than we know them and yeah we do you know we do lots of baby wearing they both stay in the bed with us still you know i still breastfeed and yeah yeah so they're a little bit alternative but lots of people do parent like this but yeah it's yeah not, i think if anybody had known me before they wouldn't have expected me i actually two people did expect me to be like this my my friend Helen and my mom were both like, oh yeah, I bet you'll like 
Helen was always like, I just see you being like barefoot and hippie <laughs> and having like five kids. And I'm like, Mark doesn't want any more kids. And Helen's like, ah, I still think you're going to have loads more kids. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, you work on Mark then. <laughs> yeah. Because your um, breastfeeding journey is probably a bit different to, to mm. what um, some mothers go through. Sort of tell me about that, that whole journey and, and what made you decide to breastfeed for as long as you did. Well, before I had kids... I probably had some ridiculous notions about breastfeeding. I remember saying things that would have infuriated me now. Like, like it just I just didn't know anything about breastfeeding, really. Um, and before I had Arlo, I, want, I knew I wanted to do it because I'd read that it was best for the kids. And um, so I knew I wanted to try. And it was interesting because my sister was pregnant at the same time as me. So she had my niece three months before me. So I watched her go through, like, the breastfeeding stage before me. So I had an insight into that it wasn't easy because you go to the breastfeeding classes and they didn't once mention that it's hard and it's really hard um, or that it would hurt and it really hurts sometimes. So I thought, yeah, I'll I'll try breastfeeding, but I I did things like I got formula in just in case it didn't work. Um, And then I had Arlo and it was a really traumatic birth and it ended in an emergency C-section and rationally, I knew that that didn't mean I was a failure and now I can know, but like, just, I felt like a failure. Like it didn't matter rationally. Like I felt like I failed at the birth so I couldn't fail at breastfeeding. Like I had to succeed at breastfeeding no matter what because I'd, I'd failed at the birth. In my mind, I'd failed at the birth. Um, and, but also on top of that, just instinctively, I really wanted to breastfeed him as well. Um, so it was really difficult for me. Like the first few weeks, it was just lots of oh, bleeding nipples and having to breastfeed through that, which is just so painful. Really is. It's like, you yeah, know, I when can't you, even imagine. Well, it's, the, the only thing I can liken it to is when it's like that. And now I know that was because his latch was bad. But right. at the time, I didn't. But um, it's like when you're trying to break a pair of shoes in and you, you, oh. they cut the back of your heel. Oh, the and then you've got to keep wearing the shoes. But this is like your baby feeds, like they might be feeding like every hour and they clamp down and it's just, it's it's so sore. Um, but yeah, he had he had an undiagnosed tongue tie and a lip tie. But um, despite asking for him to be checked, everybody said it was fine and it right. wasn't. So breastfeeding him was painful for me for six months. And I got repeated blocked ducts, repeated mastitis for a long time. But then he was diagnosed uh, about six months. I was like, well, now he's starting food. I'm going to try him with a little bit of formula. But I had a feeling, I just mother's instinct. I had a feeling that he could be allergic. I gave him like an ounce mixed in with his like baby cereal or porridge or whatever it was. And he had like a severe reaction. So at that point, he was six months old. So he, the hypoallergenic formula tastes disgusting and at that point he developed like more of a taste so he wouldn't have taken that he um couldn't have regular formula or milk um and so I just said you know what I'm just going to keep breastfeeding so at that point things started to get a bit easier as well he fell and split his lip tie um which they often do once they get mobile and start Mm -hmm. crawling so that was like a bloodbath because the mouth injuries always look so bad. But it meant that he had more freedom. So it didn't hurt as much when I was breastfeeding him. So that got a bit easier. But I had to cut all dairy out of my diet. So there was no cakes, no cheese, no chocolate. No... Oh, because it would go through. Yeah. Ah, so I cut that. Right. So I ended up and I breastfed him for two and a half years. So I I was dairy free for like two years of that. And I've never been skinnier. <laughs> I just couldn't stop losing weight. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um and 
yeah, and then he just, I, I, my approach to weaning the kids is just, well, it's up to them. And when they don't want to do it anymore, then they just stop and that's fine rather than me forcing it on them. And he self-weaned at like two and a half. And that's right. my aim with Lena is that she just self-weans, but she's like so addicted. <laughs> um, and she turns four at the end of next month. So, right. Yeah. Do you ever had any criticism even within like your close circle of oh, kind gotcha. of the length of time that you're breastfeeding for? Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got an opinion on it. Which yeah. is crazy really because it's your choice and it's your child and it's you can do it for as long as you feel necessary. Well, the first thing I think about is there's very few people who... <laughs> that sounds really arrogant actually. Well, there's very few regular people in day to day life who I'm talking to who are criticizing me, who are as well read on breastfeeding as me. Like I read every single paper that comes out about it. Like I'm really immersed in that world. I've read many books on it and I'm really know about the advantages and you know, like the, the amount I knew when I started breastfeeding from what I'd learned through the NHS was just so minimal. And now like I'm I, I know a lot about it. So and I, I know why it's important to do it. But even aside, even if it wasn't good for them, even if I did think that formula was as good, like, it's, I, I love doing it. Like, well, I'm kind of over it now, but I, it's the, I'd, I'd be gutted if I didn't, like, if I had another kid now, like, it wouldn't even enter my head to not breastfeed them. Yeah. It's like, it's so bonding and it's, it's like a really precious, it's a privilege to do. Yeah. And it just really upsets me that so many women in this country can't. And I think, Again, it's going back to choice. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. And your choice should be respected. Yeah. Absolutely. My problem is there's like 80% of women who begin to breastfeed who stop because they think they can't because of they don't have the supply or it hurts. But really what happens is it's not, it's not that British women have terrible anatomy and we're crap at breastfeeding. It's that we aren't getting the right support. You know, mm-hmm. there are countries in the world where breastfeeding success rates is like 99%, 100%. Like, you know, we our bodies are meant to do this. Otherwise, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Um, but we've just got a really crappy support in this country. And we know exactly what we need mm-hmm. to have women breastfeeding, but we're just not investing the money in. Which links back to the feminism. It's like, if we had more women in politics or even just that the male politicians cared about women women's votes then more money would be invested into maternity care into breastfeeding support but it's just so minimal and it just upsets me so much because you see women and they carry around this guilt they feel like a failure they feel like they tried at something and they feel like they didn't succeed and it was their fault Mm -hmm. and they don't realize they didn't fail they were failed they, they think they had good support because somebody came out to see them, but what they don't realise is they gave them outdated advice or, you know, like, for example, a woman, the breastfeeding counsellor came out to see me after I had Lena and she was just like, well, you just need to have her on 20 minutes on each breast, each breast all the time. Now, Lena has always fed for four minutes and she's in and out. She's an efficient nurser. And I'd fed Arlo for such a long time. I had a really big supply. Mm-hmm. She had 25% more milk the next time you, you feed a child. Um... And that advice to keep them on the breast for that amount of time is really outdated. It's um, like if if your child has a bad latch, a poor latch, you, they could be there on there for an hour and they're not getting anything out and they're just hurting you. Or if they have a good latch, they could be in and out in five minutes and done. So, you know, if I didn't know better, I would have been trying to force her on and get so really stressed mm-hmm. out. But yeah, like women will get different. The midwife will say a different thing to the health visitor or you know, they'll be assessed for tongue tie and they'll say that they don't have one and they do. And 
what should be happening is there's these um there's a bre- there's a type of breastfeeding certification called an IBCLC it's an international board certified lactation consultant it's like the PhD of breastfeeding support to train for that and to get that certificate you need to have something like five or six years of breastfeeding support like it's uh, like some of the women on the NHS who are doing breastfeeding support have like three days worth of training like you know and there are some IBCLCs on the NHS but very few and yeah we've got two IBCLCs in the whole of the northeast um like right from Northumberland right down to Yorkshire wow but really what we need is like every single hospital should have one every single GP should have one and what should be happening is when babies are born they should be assessed for tongue tie and lip tie immediately and then that should be corrected immediately but women are waiting months and months for that to happen or they're told that they don't have it and then they're going well I didn't make the milk and it's like well you baby wasn't able to get it out because you didn't get supported properly so that really it annoys me that women are just going through their lives feeling like failures and that's affecting their confidence and their self-worth and really it's it's not them. It's it's not them. And I think if you don't want to breastfeed, that's absolutely fine. But if you do, God, you should get the support to do it. Yeah, definitely. It's the least that we can give out these women whose bodies are getting torn apart having these babies. <laughs> and, like, Christ, just support them. That's all they want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that that is the problem, isn't it? Because is there any, like, external non-NHS help and charities that are out there that are, are dedicated just to, to breastfeeding yeah there's so there's now actually the ibclc who i saw has now set up a private clinic um and it's actually it is you have to pay for it which a lot of women can't afford when they're on uh, maternity sport but um what do you call it now it's not maternity sport like maternity pay maternity Statu- allowance yeah like, yeah you know what statutory I mean. maternity pay. yeah um but she set up and i can't remember what it's called now I'll find it. I'll send you the link so you can link it in here. But yeah, yeah she set up a private clinic um, and it's based in Bladen. So she's got somebody who was worked in the NHS for years who can correct tongue ties like there. And then she can give the IBCLC breastfeeding support. Yeah. And then there's also Zoe Friedman Fossey, who is a chiropractor who specializes in pregnancy and children. And they're all at the same clinic. So they can all do like, and like when Lena had a really bad latch, when I had her, I got Amanda, the IBCLC, out on, I think it was day two. So, like, immediately I was like, this time I'm not messing about. Yeah. I had that knowledge. She came straight out. Um, she said she had a bit of a posterior tongue tie, but a functional one. So, we would see how we got on. I'd been breastfeeding Alo for two and a half years. And she was like, well, why don't you try this pr- position? And why don't you try this technique? And those two things had me without pain within a couple of days. Whereas with Alo, I was in pain for six months without that support. And that's the difference that it can make. And then also she'd recommended we went to see Zoe and Lena was a, she was a 72 hour labor and her head was partially out for four hours. So she'd, her neck had a bit of a crick. So she had some adjustments with the chiropractor, loved those, went to sleep straight afterwards and all those things helped. So, but if you don't know about those things and the NHS aren't saying those things. Yeah. It's education, isn't it? And making sure that it's, the word spreading and that's that's what you're doing with your your blog is is putting that word out there and and showing a different side to uh to, to breastfeeding and what actually you can do and the support you can get i hope so it's difficult because when you talk about it the breastfeeding always descends when it, you, if you mention breastfeeding on social media it just descends into the, and and that is because so many women feel guilty and 
they feel like they're constantly shamed for their choices on either side. Yeah. Like you you wanted to breastfeed but you couldn't or you're out there giving your kid formula and you feel shame for that or you're like me and you you know people are giving you crap because you're breastfeeding a kid that's older and they're going when they can ask for it they're too old it's like they can ask for it when they're born how do you what do you think a cry is like, <laughs> yeah. the whole like oh it's just for the mother it's like well right i can think of loads of things i'd rather be doing than having a three-year-old hang off my nipples but um, <laughs> even if it was just for me so what yeah it's that bonded, it? isn't it yeah like but it isn't like <laughs> you know i've done my time i'd quite happily finish and the, the whole concept of that just drives me crazy it's like Anybody who's breastfed will know that the last thing you are going to try and do is put your nipple into a child's mouth who doesn't want it. Like, you can't force a kid to breastfeed. Like, if I put my nipple in Lena's mouth if she didn't want it, I'd, I'd be losing that nipple. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, like, it's probably not the best. Do you know what I mean? Like, really... you can't force someone. Like, it's not coming from the mothers. The mothers are just, like, trying to get through the day. It's like, who cares? So you mentioned there about uh, your births with uh, both children. So I know that your second birth was actually a home birth. Yeah. How did that differ from from Arlo's birth? Oh my God, so much, so much. My birth with Arlo was horrible. It was really medicalized. It was, yeah, he was two weeks late and I'd read about inductions. I didn't want to be induced, but I felt a lot of pressure. Um, so I felt like, you know, they were like, oh, the risks go up. So I was like, okay, you know, got induced. And it was your typical failed induction, cascade of interventions. Like they broke my waters and then I was only given two hours to get into regular contractions, which is no time at all. Um, so then they put me on the Sintocin on drip. It was two days before Christmas. So there was, the, the ward was really, they were just, there was hardly any midwives and there was too many women. And so I'd have a midwife pop in every four hours and each time it was a different midwife and one would turn the drip up, one would turn the drip down. Like there was no real support. Um, I was in agony, like the most amount of pain. I was basically over contracting, which is one of the side effects of the Sintocin on drip is that you over contract. So it was just, it was awful. It was 17 and a half hours of that. Just, yeah, horrific. Like my mom was in the room with me and she kept trying to, uh, you know, uh, it was like the distance between me and you, which for people listening is not very far. And she kept trying to go and get a drink of water to have a drink of water. And she couldn't get to her water to have a drink of water in between the contractions. There was just no let up. So the result of that was Arlo was just getting crushed. Like he was just getting starved of oxygen. And in the end, the alarms went off and they did a test of oxygen through taking some blood from his scalp and his oxygen was plummeting so they were like they said we need to get this baby out now they rushed me along the corridor i was just in a leeds festival t-shirt nothing else (laughs) and then ended up getting knocked unconscious for an emergency c-section so it was just yeah it wasn't a nice experience and i had a lot of birth trauma following it as well um for quite a while and did you get any support with that kind of from the like not from a physical point of view from a mental health point of view no no you see somebody about six weeks after or something but at that point you're just in the midst of having a newborn baby and you don't really know the questions to ask it's really afterwards that you start thinking about it like at first you just feel really you're like oh if it wasn't for that my baby wouldn't have survived and then afterwards you're like but wait a minute but why did that all happen in the first place that didn't need to happen like you know i thought i was being assertive I would say things like I don't want to go on the drip can you go and ask the consultant do I really need to go on the drip 
thinking that that was me being assertive and they would come back and go, no, you have to. No, like now I would go, I'm not going on the drip. I'm going to do this for two hours and then we'll readjust like, uh, yeah. you know, you live and you learn. But I knew that the second time around, I really wanted to have a vaginal birth. I was, I felt like I'd been deprived of that experience and I really wanted it. And there was also part of me that felt like I had to do it this time because I felt like I'd failed the first time. So I had to do it this time, which is ridiculous, but just that's how I felt. Um... So I knew just, and the hospital was what I hated about. I hated being out of control. I hated being told what to do and what I could and couldn't do. Um, I hated the way that when, not all of the staff, but a lot of like health professionals, when you're pregnant, they suddenly treat you like you're a kid and like you're this vessel for this baby and now you just can't make decisions for yourself and you, you're now irrational because you're, you're pregnant and you can't be trusted. You don't really know what's right and it's, pregnant women especially have a lot of like innate intuition about their bodies and their babies that there's nobody who's more of an expert on that than the woman themselves well they need to be because that's how the human race has has survived this long they've done they've done research and when they've tested the accuracy of scans of babies and their weights and women's own guesses about the baby's weights the women's guesses were as accurate as the scans they were actually i think they were more accurate like women just innately you just it's it's a bit too um like hippie feathery strawberry <laughs> for the nhs they don't like that but women do you've got to tr- yeah. you've got to listen instinct. to women yeah they do nothing stronger than a mother's instinct um but i just knew that i wanted to have a home birth and the nhs does not recommend you have a home birth after you've had a c-section so i had to go against medical advice right so they didn't like that at all and we had quite a few rows about it <laughs> um but I told them and I wrote a letter and told them in no uncertain terms that I would be having a home birth and uh, they ended up sending people <laughs> to me. But it was the best decision I'd ever made and I would never go in a hospital ever again. Like the difference between the first birth and the second birth, like the second birth is how birth's meant to be. You're meant to be comfortable. You're meant to be in your own space, listening to yourself, like going into just that zone. Yeah. Like, at no point in the second birth did I, I feel like the contractions were more than me. I didn't feel out of control at any point. Like, it was hard work, but it I, I, it didn't feel... Like, the first time, at one point, I said... I stopped the, the midwife's hand and I said, if you put that drip up one more time, if I, I will die. And I wasn't being over the top. Like, I wasn't... I was genuine... Like, I genuinely was a genuine thought, fear. I can't... If you put that up again, I will die. That's, I cannot take any more of this. Like, I will die. And I really, I really, really felt that. And the second time around, like, at no point did I feel like the contractions were more than me. Like, I was just... I didn't have any drugs. I just breathed through them all. Yeah. We had gas and air there. I didn't even think to ask for it. I didn't, I didn't need it. Yeah. Um, I used hypnobirth and breathing. Um, I had a TENS machine on at the start. And then I went in the pool. Um... But yeah, it was just, it was everything that I'd hoped it would be. I mean, I, I would hope that the pushing stage wasn't four and a half hours because that that did do some damage. Um, but yeah, it was amazing to have, just have that experience. And yeah. have I put on, Mark was behind me and he had his legs behind me, like holding me up in the end. I birthed outside of the pool, just on the floor because I needed a little half a peasy on me to get her out. Um, but he, she, she came, she was put straight on my chest, but because he was behind me, it was like, she was put like in his arms as well. Like he was right there. And the first time he wasn't there at all. Like I was knocked out. I was in a room on my own. Oh, of so, course. And nobody had told him that I'd even had the baby for like 
I think it was like an hour and a half or something. Wow. So they'd rush me off down the corridor and then nobody had told him what was going on. So he, him and my mum were sobbing thinking that we'd both died. And then in the end, my mum got so annoyed. She went out and she said, what's, what's going on? They were like, oh, she's had the baby go back in. And they were like, well, nobody told us. And yeah. they apologised afterwards. They were like, we should have, somebody should have told you. But I think he had quite a bit of trauma as well. He was quite teary for a while afterwards. So it felt like it was just a really great healing experience for us both. Yeah. And he was, afterwards, he was like, well, that was just, the first time was horrific. And he was like, and that was like really nice. I had candles on, like yeah. relaxation music. And it was... Because I'm, I'm guessing that with the man, obviously I've, I've not been through this, so I don't know, but I'm um, guessing that, that experience of the birth, the man hasn't had the nine months of the feelings and the growing yeah. human. Um, so that birth and experience of, of being present and, and seeing the baby come out or even being present in a cesarean situation because some women elect for cesareans, yeah. which is, is fantastic. It, it sort of, they want to do that. Again, it's but like they're the there. The, the thing about all of this and the theme about all of it is the woman's choice should be respected. Yeah. We've got to trust women to be able to make choices about yeah. themselves and their bodies. And but if women... you want a home birth let the woman have yes. a home birth. If you want a C-section, let the woman have a C-section. It's like, we've got to trust women. Do you feel that a lot of criticism comes from women? Do you think that is, so it's kind of more you do you, where you would probably put all this about home birth and then you were never criticising anyone else. So you were saying your experience to help other people that experience. But then someone saying, oh, well, I had a cesarean. So so you're now saying that home birth's better than, yeah, be- yeah. Better than me. I've, and I've that's had criticism sad. before, like on breastfeeding posts and on posts about birth, like saying that I'm trying to make other women feel bad. And absolutely not. I've had both. So yeah. I, I, know how, I know how it feels to have both. Um, I think that when we respond negatively to something it's often because we're feeling shitty about that thing yeah so like if if you're feeling bad about the fact that you had a home birth or a c-section then you see somebody's post then you might respond in that way it's more about stuff that's going on in you but i also yeah. think there's a lot of internalized sexism so i think women can respond negatively because they're constantly being shamed for their choices everywhere i mean you look at like the headlines and papers like the daily fail and you know things like that where it's like such and such and then the language is always so negative and we're surrounded by that from birth that you there is a lot like everybody has internalized sexism like I do everybody does and you got to work to like get rid of that but I think we're just used to we've we're always being pitted against each other we're always being shamed for our choices so I think sometimes that's part of it um but yeah you get you do get criticism, whatever you do. Yeah. So the only thing you can do in life is just do you. And then if you're getting shit about it, you know, at least you've stayed true to yourself. Yeah. You know? It's that, even worse to is... get crap about something that isn't what you were trying to do something and not get crap. And then you get crap about it. It's yeah. Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, but it's good that you, that you had that experience. Oh, it's with, the with best that thing birth. I ever did. I'm so pleased. And it just teaches you what birth can be. Mm-hmm. And I think, I worry about the medicalization of birth and again, like the lack of investment because we know things like women have much better outcomes when they have one-to-one midwifery support. They have much better outcomes when it's the same midwife that they've seen before the pregnancy that they are with during the labor. Um, we know exactly what women need mm-hmm. to improve outcomes, but we're not investing in it. Yeah. Like, and all these midwives, like they want to give that kind of support and they can't, you know, they're getting stretched on the wards and they're having to support so many different women. And it just, it just really annoys me. Like there's surely bringing life into the world and making sure that kids get the best start is 
what it's all about. And, yeah. And making sure our women aren't just ruined. Like, women are getting... Having so many issues with their pelvic floors, you know, unnecessary operations and surgery. It, it's just because we're not investing in it's like we, it's like nobody cares yeah which is is absolutely crazy because yeah that is the the human race and we we invest so much in in sustaining life in in later years and mm-hmm. and keeping people alive and making sure which is absolutely fantastic yeah but it's that investment in it's like the, the beginning of life support would pay for itself if they supported it in terms of what it would save the nhs it would actually it would save so much money yeah. um but even i did a collaboration on the blog with um physiotherapy clinic in Sunderland um about this the the uh, one of the partners of like a national scheme called mummy mot and that's all about in France like every woman who's had a baby gets like this like I think it's like a 12-week course of um physiotherapy for their pelvic floor after they have had babies we don't get anything in this country and there's like everybody will laugh and go oh, I've had two kids and I can't go on a trampoline or like it's just kind of accepted and everybody laughs about the fact that once you've had a kid you you, you pee yourself but that isn't we don't have to accept that that's yeah. because we're not getting good support um you know like the mummy mot scheme is you know that it's rehabilitation for your pelvic floor it's exercises getting your body back right like I didn't realize after I'd had Lena I went to the mummy mot it was like three years after I'd had her and they were like oh can you can you breathe show me how you breathe and because lots of women get into the habit of breathing like just from the top of their chest when they're pregnant and then they don't breathe properly so and she was trying to get me to breathe from my belly I couldn't do it couldn't do it I was like how do you and she was like if you start practicing it you'll just get back into doing it and it's really easy and I was like nah so she put a hand on my tummy I was like I can't can't do it (laughs) I practiced honestly just a little bit just practiced every now and again and now, every time I breathe, it's from the bottom of my tummy. And I'm yeah. like, my body is just, just simple things like that. Like, there's all of these little little things, like the stretching, ex- simple exercises we can do that would really help. But we just don't, it's just this lack of, I don't know, anybody giving a shit about women, I think. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it, it's sad. And, and I think um, some sort of charities and, and local groups, like like you say, that the chiropractors, that they they try and help as, as as much as possible, but there's only so much they can do without the government stepping in and actually yeah. doing something about and it. I mean, if you are like a broke mum or a single mum and you're like struggling on universal credit, like you've not got the time or the energy or the money it's to the last look thing into you're things think about. like these. Yeah. Like, so this is why, you know, we have things like better health co- outcomes for like wealthier women than, you know, and wealthier people. And, you know, it's just, yeah we need it to be fair fair and equal <laughs> fair and equal that's what we need yeah so as your kids grow up what sort of parent do you want to be as you start becoming a parent to teenagers and adolescents how how do you see that that relationship growing this is such a tough question because I think this is kind of like how I thought I would be a parent before I had kids. Like, because I'm not there, it's really difficult. Like, I could say this stuff and then in reality, it could be something totally different. But I think I'll probably just keep parenting how I do now. So I just want to have mutual respect. Like, I want us to respect them and them to respect us and be kind to each other and try and understand each other. And um, yeah, I want us to talk to each other and be honest with each other. So all of that kind of stuff, like honesty and respect, like... And I do that now with the kids, like I try and give them, like I try not to force things on them that they don't want and give them respect and then hope that in turn they'll realise that I'm not just, you know, 
a dick trying to make them do all these things that they don't want to do and like if I'm asking them to do something then it's because it's I need them to do it yeah. so it doesn't always work but I do feel like we've got quite a good relationship with the kids like they're both pretty touch wood there's no, there's no wood to touch um, they're both pretty pretty good kids yeah because it's nice to see because you, you get them involved in, in a lot like I saw um, the other day on your Instagram that um, Lena was doing uh, yoga with you yeah um, and that just looked that was a- the first amazing time. she was so good at it oh my god her little yoga face was slamming she was concentrating so she, oh squeezing her little eyes shut I was like yeah she. I, I was like I'm gonna do yoga do you want to do yoga with me so she did it was ridiculous though in the end I was like doing downward dog on the mat and she was underneath me doing downward dog <laughs> underneath me it's like you're trying to move and get into her floor and she's just there I'm gonna have to get her a little mat now and apparently there's this cool um YouTube one called Cosmic Kids that's yoga for kids so I'll get her doing that now she'll she could do with something to chill her out so (laughs) (laughs) she looked like a little pro to me she was so good she was such a natural like for she's so young I didn't think she'd understand what she was saying but yeah she's really good it does seem though that you you treat them like little mini adults and kind of talk to them like that mutual respect that you say and I think that probably that bodes well for the for the future of of having that type of relationship with them there's a there's an arcade fire lyric that I love and it's called it says us kids know it's in one of the songs and I do think there's society really patronizes younger people but they have their own innate wisdom like they're not as knowledgeable about how the world works as us but they're understanding they're the best people at understanding the world that's around them like they you know they know their own stuff i just think we need to i just add there's a lot of this there's different types of parenting and there's some people who completely fundamentally disagree with me and they they're really hierarchical so they're like children should respect their elders and you will do what i say and i'm just not like that but i'm not like i'm not hierarchical in society like i don't really feel like there's anybody who just warrants my respect just because of their positions yeah. like you earn respect and I, with kids i, I don't feel like I need to treat them any different to an adult. Like I want to give them the same respect as I would an adult in the room because why not? I just, it doesn't make sense to me, but um, yeah, they, I, I do talk to them like little adults. And uh, and it's the same, like some people think I'm mad because if we talk about like sex, I'm just very matter of fact about it. Same about periods, about bodies and stuff. And they just get it. Like they're yeah. not like, they don't need you to be all making stories up and they just they're just like oh right okay yeah yeah it's real life and they've got to they've got to deal with it at some point so what's the point in sort of guarding them away from real life and then all of a sudden it's like whoa what's this it's like oh yeah just i've always known that i don't know where i knew that from i've just always known that because same with swearing i don't say them that's like because we all mess up sometimes and like I, i don't say them that's a bad word because i don't think swear words are bad words i think there's um historically a lot going back to feminism a lot of them they're to do with sex they're to do with religion they're to do with um misogyny and the you know if you go why don't you like that word and some people go well i don't like how it sounds it's like but you use the word hunt a lot and you're fine with that um <laughs> but yeah so i just say to the kids i'm like it's a grown-up word grown-ups can use it children aren't allowed to use it if you use it i get into a lot of trouble so don't use it yeah but I said something, I said shit or something the other day and I went, mommy, that's a grown-up word. And I said, well, it's just as well I'm a grown-up, isn't it? Don't you say it though. Yeah, you're not allowed to say yeah. it. But I don't say it's a bad word or a good word. You know, I just, I would much rather he said something like shit than he said something really mean to another kid or something racist. Like I have, I do have 
firm lines but yeah. they're around things like that like uh, we focus on kindness and everything goes back to kindness and yeah. even that's how I raise them to be like feminist and socially aware it's like just <laughs> all the time is that is that kind they go that wasn't a very kind thing mummy or you know everything says that was that kind thing to do yeah and they'll go no <laughs> oh <bless>. <laughs> apologize <laughs> yeah it's very cute So you mentioned there about being open about uh, periods. So I know a lot of your posts and things I've seen is is back to to women's choice really, and and that whole that it's not a dirty thing, and it's not like every single woman goes through it, and oh it, it since ridiculous? the beginning of time, and no one talks about it enough. And like I'm oh, I'm probably it? even like like bad for it as well. Like if it's ever mentioned in in public or around like a family, I'm kind of like oh, and then you think. But why? Like every single per- well, I was person, so every single with woman today, because I was like, this year I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pussyfoot around it. If I get my period in the office, I'm not gonna be like hiding my tampon up my sleeve and like, you know, or yeah. like taking my bag to the toilet. But I did it again today because there was men in the office and I, when I needed a tampon and I, d- I got my period, I didn't expect to get it. And I usually use a cup now, and I didn't have it, and so I had to ask women in the office, and I was like. Shh, you know, and it's and like, sometimes I don't even like saying about? the word. I'll like be at work and I'll like, I'll be like, they, even to a woman, I'll be like, have you got any, have you got any tampons? And it's yeah. like, I can't even say the word. And I'm like, why? It's why? ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's like, just, it's so natural. It, it is, I know. And it's so annoying. But I was like, well, I didn't want to offend the boys. It's like, how did the boys get here? How do they think they got here? Yeah. Like all of this is like, you know, if men had periods, it'd be like, oh man, yeah, I got such a heavy flow this month. Yeah, I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't believe how many times I went through. wouldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. But like, I went through Supermax box. Two Supermax boxes this month, Trevor. <laughs> Do you, can you imagine? They'd be like, totally celebrating it. Be like, guess what? Got yeah. my period. High five. Like, it'd be, yeah. yeah. And women are just like, oh no. You know, yeah. and it's like, we have shame in this country, but it's nothing compared to just the other day. Um, a mother and her two children, I can't remember what country it was in now, but it was one of the ones where they force the women to go and live in a hut when they get the period because they're dirty and nobody can go near them. And the 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 hut, they needed a little fire to keep themselves warm and they all suffocated from the smoke inside the hut. And it's quite common from that happens where they're from. But yeah, it's just like stuff like that happens and we're more removed from that, but it's still, yeah. it's all part of the same problem. It's wrong. It's you know yeah i love i love seeing now on social media and i don't know if I, if I would get to this point but like like today you mentioned the fact that you'd had your period and you oh, they know and, all about and my it was period. exactly and, <laughs> and it's there on instagram stories and and there's another girl that i follow who um has just decided to start using the um menstrual cup and she's like oh i'm testing this out and it's it's fantastic starting to see those those yeah. types of posts and and people being more open about I think it because social media is is a total game changer for feminism yeah because we can just you know for years we've just had this one narrative in the media of how women should look and how women should act you know usually size zero blonde who goes oh, what do we do now and you know and now we can go well actually this woman's really cool she's a size 26 and she doesn't give a shit about what you think about her and you know we're going to show our body hair and we're going to show our periods and we're going to reclaim this space and you know like I'll go on my stories or on YouTube and stuff and I won't wear makeup and you know I'm I'm not going to apologize for my face and I just think we need to see more normal people doing normal things and yeah I think social media is going to be a huge game changer and you can just get ideas out much quicker and 
just break it down. It's really funny because I've got a new follower um, and at first I'm usually a bit wary when men comment on stuff and I'm usually like, oh, is this guy creeping or am I going to get crap? And But it was about, it was off the back of the January post and at first I thought, oh, no, but actually he's from a different country, follows me now and he comments on loads of my stuff and he's like, you know, you know, a male feminist and I was yeah. like, oh, he gets it and that's quite nice. So I think the ideas are getting out there. Yeah, that's is you're totally right with social media because it, it just it starts the conversations. Yes, there is the downside of social media, and there is people's opinions that they probably wouldn't have if you yeah. were having a face to face conversation with someone. Totally. But it does get the it gets the word out there, and and the more people talk about it, and the the, the more it it needs to be a normal thing. Like I've had friends before that have like been on a date or they've started seeing a guy, and it gets to the point where you know you're gonna get a bit intimate. And she'll be like, oh, but I've had, what am I going to tell him? Because I'm on my period. I'm like, you tell, tell him it. that you're on your period. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. d- what does he think? That like, you're just this like, holy oh vessel God. that just doesn't poo or wee or you? have yeah. periods. It's just like, that's oh, Jesus, just... She's, she's, we, we mustn't go there. She's abnormal. Like, yeah. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. And it's fantastic because it ignites the conversations as well about period poverty and um, all of that and kind of helping people that... that maybe live on the streets and they yeah. have their periods and if we're, we're less scared to talk about periods then hopefully those like being able to help people in those situations is going to become yeah. more like donating to a charity that helps with period po- poverty be the same as donating to a, a cancer charity or, or yeah. a, um, something else and I think that's really important there's this really cool um, charity like not for profit that uh, supported a bit in the past I've sent them some menstrual cups and stuff um, called Ruby Rebellion it's um there's this other feminist she's on Instagram she's called Rebel Lou and she set that up for period poverty in Glasgow but she's also got these she's got really cool merch and I've got this t-shirt by her which is it's made by her but it was drawn by this artist who I love on Instagram called Tani Tinsley who does this feminist like girl gang art stuff and anyway so she's done this drawing on the front of the t-shirt and it's got a woman well, i can't remember if it's got like um she, she's visibly bleeding on this picture so it's quite confronting and it says anything you can do i can do bleeding so i've got a picture <laughs> on my instagram of me wearing it holding lena and it yeah it always gets a few looks when yeah. i'm out and about in it but it's like yeah yeah I'm gonna reclaim this space but it is it's it's sort of progression isn't it like there's i think there's a lot of um sort of sanitary companies have stopped using that weird blue dye oh instead gosh. of um yeah. like anything that represents a period because like it would just offend too many people by actually it being red and yeah. it's like it would bleed blue dye so it, it it is slowly changing and and hopefully it'll it'll start getting better fingers crossed i will die trying <laughs> Politics is really important on your on your channels as well um, that you've kind of tweeted about and things that, that that you're passionate about. So what what is it that you feel that that young people should be talking about politics and and, and not turning a blind eye to it all? And especially with what's going on in in our country at the moment. Oh gosh, it, it affects young people the most, doesn't it? And I mean, I didn't get really political. Like I get more political the older I get. So. You know, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I wasn't anywhere near as political as where I am now, or at least not 
like I, I had ideas about stuff, but I wasn't following politics and the political parties. Whereas now we both me and my partner do like we've always got like BBC Parliament playing and like Arlo knows who the Prime Minister is and he he knows why she's a bad idea and he knows who we want like we want to be Prime Minister Jeremy Corbyn and yeah and so they know and the way that Arlo understands it is um, Theresa May's a Slytherin. And, Jer- and Jeremy Corbyn's a Hufflepuff, and that's all you need to say. <laughs> it's like that's that's how you explain that's, it. That's just the perfect I like, well, analogy. I was like, the Tory parties want everything to stay the same, and they want all the money to go to the people who have all of the money. You know, the pure bloods, and uh, the Hufflepuffs just want to do what's right. It's like they want to they want to give the money to the poor. I was like, that's the way that that's that's the that's politics in this country, Alan. Yeah. You've got it. You're sick. You understand. Um, but that takes us back to what you're saying about giving them all the information is that they're the, they're the generation. They're the, they're the ones that need to carry this through yeah. and they need to be told about everything that's going on in the world so they can make it's, those decisions yeah. earlier. It's them who it's all going to affect. So yeah, I just think, yeah, I, I, I can't help but talk about politics because I don't, I, I don't really get how you could not. Like, I don't really know what I would say. Like, I just, yeah, I, it, it's not even a conscious choice for me because I don't think I could be on not have opinions on social media and yeah. not share things like if i see an article in the guardian that says you know this un report says all these children are starving like i, I couldn't not share that like you know yeah i just can't not but yeah kids do do need to be involved in it and especially because it's the only way the left is ever going to get back into power again because you always have the right always has much more older voters and the left always has younger voters. And yeah, so I would like to see the left get back in. But that it, naturally, that's the way I'm politically aligned. Like I'm saying, yeah. I care about fairness and equality. And yeah, I want to see, I think that there are billionaires in the world. Like there isn't a billionaire that's not a bastard. Like how can you ever justify having that much money? You couldn't even spend it. Like if, if you're a billionaire, you could, you know, you could fix so many problems in the world and you're not. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm more, I'm definitely left leaning, but I hope that kids get more involved in politics. I think stuff like Brexit and what's happening politically, hopefully will motivate more of them to be interested in politics, but it's an interesting time because globally you've just got what's happening in America. You've got what's happening here and you know, across the world it's, it's a really interesting time for politics. A scary time for politics. Yeah. But yeah, it all it's all a response to that global recession that we had. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Because there's all these things happening at the same time. I always talk about supercomputers as well. When the supercomputers break through and the automation rises, like we're in this technical revolution. The next, like over the next decade, like the world is not going to look the same in a decade's time or what it does now. And yeah. But that's what scares me a little bit is how the politics is right now. The time that we're going going to go through this huge change, I'm just not quite sure where we'll end up. But yeah, we'll no. see. I know scary times. They reckon most of the jobs that we'll be here in ten years haven't even been invented yet. So it's interesting for me raising kids, going, well, what do I think that you know, like the certain jobs that I wouldn't encourage them to do anymore because I don't think that they'll exist. Like you know. I think you have to think carefully about advising your kids to go into medicine now because it's one of the first areas that will get automated. They've already got 
GP AI that is more accurate than a GP. They've all, all, already got a robot that is able to perform open heart surgery more accurately than a, like a surgeon. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting seeing where, where the kids end up yeah. in the future. Yep. Scary. So going on to kind of how you cope with this whole crazy world and <laughs> everything that we've discussed. So you, you said you do yoga and things. It, it's Is mindfulness important to you? Is it something that you practice? Yeah, well, I've only just started to get back into yoga, like literally last week. So um, <laughs> I do go to the gym um, a couple of times a week and like I need to exercise just to, for my mind really, over my body, but um so I go to the gym when I'm at work because there's a gym there. I walk every day with the kids because their school is far away. <laughs> so I do about two hours of walking a day when I'm not at work. Um, I mean, I'm just starting yoga again because I feel like my body's falling apart. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm 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 very extroverted. So I like to be around friends and people. And, and I think something that I'm struggling with and I'm just trying to work through at the moment is being in a job where you're on social media all the time and how that impacts on you like my screen time at the moment like I average about six hours a day which is a lot but then a lot of it is work stuff and then a lot of it is me pissing about on social media and I need to draw the line because when I'm creating stuff on social media it makes me feel good but when I'm consuming too much social media it makes me feel bad and like the constant checking for new news and yeah um the constant checking for likes and validation um and like I'm probably a bit addicted to it. So I'm kind of trying to be more mindful and step away from my phone where I can. So I'm just be present and in the yeah. moment. I think kids are really good for forcing you to do that as well because they are always in the present. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're with them, they kind of, you, they require your attention. So it drags you away from it. But yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm focusing on this year is how to be a bit less in the digital world and a bit more in the real world yeah. but still at the same time like still be able to forward like progress the blog and yeah. social media and stuff so it's, it's that's a bit of a tightrope at the moment I think that's probably the biggest has the biggest impact on my mental health I'm pretty on a level with mental health like I don't really have any problems there yeah. but um I do notice that I think I have too much time on my phone and I think that makes us feel a bit shitty at times yeah um but yeah, I think for me, it's it's getting out and seeing my friends. And I'm really into music. So listening to music, going to gigs, going to festivals and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, mindfulness is really good. When I, like I said, when I was pregnant with Lena and for her labor, I did um, hypnobirthing. So every night I would practice hypnobirthing tracks and positive visualization and breathing techniques and stuff. And I've literally never in my life felt as chilled out. And I was so chilled out, even in that labor, well, firstly, I didn't, I was in, I'd been in labor for like two days or something and I was, I still hadn't even set up the birthing rule and I was so chilled out. I was like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's like in established labor, just sticking me posters up, just pottering around and then her, my waters went and I was pushing for about an hour before the midwives got there and everybody around me was really stressed because they didn't think midwives were going to get there in time and I was like, if she comes before the midwives are here, then she just obviously wants to be born and it's going to be fine. Like, I was not worried at all. I was just like, it's fine. Yeah. It's all fine. I was just like so, so chilled out. And and even after the birth, that stayed with me for a long time. And I said to myself, I really need to do that again. I mm-hmm. really need to do that again because it's, 
I've never felt so positive um, and I never make the time to do it. It's so annoying. I've just got this Apple watch and it keeps doing these breathe things and I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good because it's going to force me to be mindful. And it comes up and I just go dismiss. I really need to do it, but it's one of those things. There's so many things to do, isn't there? Yeah, I know. And but the, the... it would be great for me if I did it. And yeah. If I got into the habit of doing it, but I think that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to start up yoga again because that's kind of a little bit of that as well. Oh, it definitely is. You know, Yoga's like, fantastic for Yeah, for so that. it's a bit of the both, yeah. So we'll see. And it's a bit more gentle on me old bones. <laughs> now I've turned 35, I feel like I'm about 100. See, I, I, I find yoga really hard. So I do um, hot pod yoga. Oh, and yeah. Then... See, I'm just starting out with like the chilled out stuff now. Like It's... But downward dog, like, I would do it and I, like, I keep having to come out of it. And the, the instructor said it's meant to be a relaxation pose. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm in agony whenever I do that. My arms hurt. I was like, I just literally have no other body strength whatsoever. So I think, yeah, I think I need to uh, I like downward on that. dog. Downward dog's okay. It's easier when you don't have a child under you <laughs> when you do downward dog. Yeah, I yeah. bet. But yeah, so hopefully I'll get better at all that stuff this year. Or I'll just continue being an idiot as usual <laughs> i'm gonna really must do that stuff i don't know you just do the best you can don't you exactly just, that's just life isn't it and, everything's and that's, busy and exactly and you just get through it the way that you, yeah, that you I get could definitely it. give up half an hour of that screen time to do some mindfulness couldn't i no i'm um i'm definitely addicted to my phone like in, in a in a really addictive t- to my phone kind of way yeah. where to the point where I need to kind of sort it out because it's now it's it's kind of like um, muscle memory yeah. of picking up my phone and same. checking the same things that I just checked two minutes ago. Yeah. And I've found myself on Facebook on my laptop and picking up my phone to check Facebook. Yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? And it's just that, that it, I don't know whether it's a comfort thing or it's just a, a just it's, constantly really overstimulated by it. It's, it is interesting because obviously we've never gone through anything like this, so we're grappling with it as yeah. we go through it, you know. I was saying when I first got with Mark, it was like 10 years ago, and he was like, because he, he works in IT, and he has to be an early adopter of every piece of technology. He has to have it first. So he's like one of the first people to have an iPhone, and I remember we were on a night out, and we were all, all of our like our friendship group we were all taking the piss out of him because he was checking his phone all the time because we didn't have smartphones, that like, and... So we didn't get it, and yeah. he was checking his phone loads. And I mean, now, like you would, you wouldn't even consider that somebody hardly checking their phone. Yeah. But it's like, how much has it all changed? That now, ten years on, that is so much more than normal. People are so far past that. Yeah. But it's just all progressing at such a rate, and we're trying to like really is figure out the impact on our mental health. But I can, I'm not reading research about it and going, oh, this is bad for me. I can just tell yeah. what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And when I've spent a lot of time on my phone, I feel like crap. So it's trying to find the balance. But yeah, I'm totally addicted to mine. Yeah. To- totally addicted. But it's like, it's a habit thing, isn't it? It totally but is. I think the screen time function on iPhone has been a bit of a wake-up call for oh, me. Oh, we were looking at ours Instagram's last night. Instagram's my big time suck. Yeah. Totally. I think my average on Instagram um, of the seven days that it tells you was five hours just on Instagram. Yeah. I was like, that's just, it's crazy. Should I, oh, it's on airplane mode, so I can't check. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. I do love the fact that we are kind of the generation that remembers the before and the after. Yeah. Kind of, we are the, the true millennials, really, of mm-hmm. coming of age in the millennium where we remember having the dial-up internet or even having no internet at all and no yeah. mobile phones. I, I didn't get a mobile phone until I was... I think 16 was like my my first yeah. mobile phone and then it was like a brick 
Yeah. Um, I so yeah, my little brick phone. It's nice that the kind of our generation has that that before and after. I would hate to think of kind of the teenagers now that that's all they've ever known. Yeah, like Lena has had an iPad since she was like, I want to say two, but she might have been one. They know they know how to use it. And everything. That's a, a difficult thing as well. Like, do we have like managing that as a parent and how much time you let your kid be on screens? Like, Lena doesn't have limits at the moment because she just naturally will get bored and go play anyway. But once Arlo got... We never had limits and I always said I didn't care as long as they did like lots of different things. So if they go outside, if they're playing with their toys, like I don't mind if they don't want some screen time or whatever. But when I, what I do have a problem is if they're on it like loads and yeah. they're not wanting to do other things, which is kind of the point where Arlo got to because he once he discovered games, he just wanted to play games all the time. So he loves yeah. Roblox and pokemon and stuff so he wants to be on that all the time so he does have two he has a two hour limit we try to break it up in half hour chunks so we set a timer and once he's been on half an hour he's got to go do something else and yeah. come back to it. we're not always great at upholding it but um yeah if he but then it, you know i want him to go do other things as well like, yeah. i just don't think it's great for him to be on it that much we don't limit the tv so that if he's, he gets off the ipad and he goes and watches some youtube but <laughs> but then I don't know. every generation i think since the baby boomers have or even before that when tv was first invented i'm sure that that someone said you can't put tv in your house and sit your kids in front of a tv yeah, yeah, totally. and and technology has just progressed in that way that now it's people it's, see kids on ipads i'm like well that's probably the same as in the 50s when a tv was very first put in someone's house totally and now there's so much more pressure on par- parents to be perfect because i was reading something online the other day that was like like remember when you were growing up and your mom was on the phone or watching it she's like shut up me shows are on be quiet now i'm on the phone like stop talking like whereas now if you did that to your kid while they were on the screen they'd be like what an abusive mother but yeah. like it's just the norm like you know well yeah it was like trying to get the the landline like into the kitchen and see yeah, whether it would like cord, yeah, yeah. They get the cord through the door to try and talk to your yeah. friends on the phone because that's the only way you could actually like your speak to them just chain smoked fags <laughs> shut up eat your sugar sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> or salad cream sandwiches or whatever it was in the 80s like oh, oh but yeah back th- in the day but it's it's difficult because i think as well i don't want them to not have this screen time because it's the world that they're living in exactly like, you can't deprive them out because they're going to go to school with they do everyone co- else that knows exactly what this at is in primary school they're taught coding now yeah they do coding at primary school one of my we, friends we, said we never that. did coding like you know it's they need to be able to use these things or they'll be left behind yeah so you know and what, going back to that point of, of the jobs of the future that you said mm. is that that's what they need to learn because these are the these are going to be the jobs of the yeah. future and, and they reckon they you're either going to gonna tell a computer what to do or be told what to do by a computer so yeah one of those is going to be better than the other it is well i mean automation now is just i mean i've just automated my entire house with alexa and mm. i'm like obsessed to the point where i was like i need an eye kettle and tom's like kelly does it really take that long to like boil the kettle i'm like i don't care i'd like i press a button on my phone and it'll boil the kettle mark would really? love you he tries to automate everything in our house Sorry. well uh, tom wasn't too like like bothered about it until i set it all up and now we've got like two alexas that that control all of the lights in the house and it turns on his ex box and it turns on the tv so it might be a novelty and they're gonna gather dust in a couple of weeks but uh but yeah but it, it's scary that that is like now when i come in 
I just have to tell a computer yeah. to turn on all the lights of my house. Like, yeah. even 10 years ago, you would think that that would be the most ridiculous thing in the world. I know, totally. And, like, and now, like, you can just go on, like, I could go on my phone here and put my heating on in my house, <laughs> like, from here. It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. It's good, though. I ju- it's just navigating it all as we go through it. Like, my degree was history, so it's, like, I'm quite interested in it now because... You know, we studied the industrial revolution, and that was like a huge change. The technological revolution—we're in it. Yeah, we're this is this we're is living what, it. In the future, people will be studying this mm-hmm. as like the big change, and it's it's a very rapid pace. Like it's going at such a fast pace now, yeah. and we really have no idea what's coming. It's definitely, and it's I think very that's interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's what's key about mindfulness and understanding technology and understanding social media. So it's never going to go away, and it's always going to be there, and kids are going to be subject to it and and be involved in it but it's it's the coping mechanisms that are there on top of all of that and and having that that guidance in school schools need to change and Mm. that that whole outlook on that needs to to change because it's going to be there and there's like stories in the press at the minute of of um instagram and facebook having a lot of negative kind of like suicide type of material on there and worry about when they get to that age and it's it's really upsetting but if if we look at helping and and educating then it's not as that it's not going to go away but it's not as a scarier world if they're getting educated on it and they've got the the help and support i mean i remember years and years ago when i think was it facebook very first came out there was some sort of button that kids could then press if they felt like they were sort of having a strange conversation or there was kind of um different things and and that just need that kind of seemed to have disappeared so that just needs to be sort of brought back into the into the world to help kids navigate this crazy world yeah it's a funny old time it's a funny time to be alive isn't it it's very interesting but yeah it's funny so to kind of round everything off uh where do you see the future of of your blog and what you're doing now How, how do you see that that in sort of five years time oh gosh um, it's a difficult question, isn't it? Well, I really, I really, really want to go full time on the blog. I really want to do it as like my main job. So I really hope that like putting out more content. Um, yeah, and you just seeing where that would go if I was able to focus on it full time, that would be nice. I mean, think things will be different this year. There's going to be a lot of change because Lena will start school in September. So I'll get more time where I can put, like in the moment, like whenever I'm, I've got another job, I've got the kids. So like, I really don't have a great um, deal of time where I can dedicate to like just writing and being creative and stuff. So I'm going to get more time. So it'll be really interesting to see what I can do when I've got a bit more time. And um, yeah, I don't know really. I haven't thought like five years down the line. <laughs> I just want to do it as like, I just, I, I love it. So I just yeah. want to focus on it. So you vlog as a family as well. Is, is that something you want to carry on doing? Yeah, well, we did. Well, we talked about it and we said, if we won the lottery and we weren't doing anything for the money, would we still vlog? And we were both like, no, I don't think we would. Right. But I was like, if I won the lottery, would I still blog? And I was like, yeah, I would. I just wouldn't probably work with brands anymore. Yeah. I would still blog for that cathartic writing about feelings and issues that I care about and stuff. So we kind of reined it back. So we used to put out a family vlog every week and we we stopped doing that because it was, we found ourselves on weekends going, oh, we've got to do something because we need to vlog something. And yeah, pressure. It, yeah, and as the kids get older, I'm a bit more wary about how much I show them on social media and stuff. Um, 
so we've reined that back. So now on YouTube, I'll mainly do like sit down talking about stuff, reviews. Um, I've got one coming out this week, which is all about body confidence that I did with another blogger who talks about that a lot, which should be fun to put out. And then we do occasional family vlogs now. So like if we have a nice holiday that we want to remember mm-hmm. or a kid's birthday, because we love looking back on them. Like it's a we started when Lena was one. So there's like three years of, like now we look back and we're like, oh, look how little she was or look what they were like. So it's really nice to look back on the memories. So we just do, but we don't put pressure on ourselves now. We just do them as and when, like we're never going to be, you know, famous YouTubers. So we just, we just took the pressure off ourselves and we just do it as and when. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess the blog is where I invest most of my time in. And I, I, I think Instagram stories changed vlogging a bit as well because I essentially daily vlog on Instagram yeah. stories like my whole life is on Instagram stories like every single day I take people through my day so I really overshare on this there isn't like that much that I could then put on YouTube but I think that's the the evolution of it really though because I think um micro blogging I, I, I talked about this mm. in the last episode of, of is is becoming much bigger a thing than your conventional YouTube video yeah of edited and because I think Everyone likes that that raw, real life of an yeah. Instagram story. Even though, yes, you can record it and delete it and re-record it, but it's a little bit less put together than the conventional vlog. And yeah. you, it's easier to do. And I think people relate to that a lot more. Yeah. I like, I couldn't, like, my Instagram stories is my most engaged audience. And I think it's because I do it in the moment. So it's it's, that is the closest you get to me and my real voice because I'm not editing it at all I'm yeah. not whereas on YouTube like I'm if I was making a video like I kind of lost that and I don't know why because I've, I'm just holding a camera the same as what I would on the Instagram stories but I think it's it's more conscious and you thinking about what you're doing more mm-hmm. and I think I just lost a bit of the of me and that um I still like the YouTube videos and stuff but Instagram's just so much it's just so much easier to do stories yeah and, like you're not having to do a whole editing thing at the end and trying to make it into a mini movie well thank you so so much for being my second guest um i've absolutely loved talking to you and learning a lot as well because i think there's a, there's a lot within this this realm that that i kind of don't research into or look into and the whole feminism thing so it's it's fantastic to sit down and, and have this type of conversation with someone so thank you very much thank you it's nice to speak to somebody without children interrupting me every two <laughs> seconds this is a, this is a rare treat yeah well at least my dog stopped barking yes, so uh <laughs> yeah she's chilled out a little bit yeah you've just got crazy dog instead of uh children running yeah. around <laughs> i don't know which is louder <laughs> actually i do it's the children <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you so much. And um, if anyone's listening and they've got to the end of this point, then uh, then give uh, Naomi a, a follow on, on all her social medias. And Please. I'll, uh, I'll make sure I, I link everything in, um, in the, uh, the blog post as well. So that's, a, that's what I want in five years time. I want bloody swipe up on Instagram. So do follow me. <laughs> that's all I want in life. I want swipe up. You imagine all the great things I can link in there. Oh. So get following. We need to get Naomi to 10,000 followers it's on Instagram. It's taken me three years to get to 4,000. So yeah, it'll probably be five <laughs> five years. I'll be it's creeping towards 10,000 going, all I wanted was swipe up. <laughs> I needed to li- link that video of Trump doing that thing. You'll get swipe years. up and then you'll have nothing to uh, no. swipe up about. You'll be like, oh, actually. Yeah. But, well, that's, that's the aim then. That's, yeah. your, that's the five-year that's plan. It. We'll come back in five years and, and see whether we've got that. <laughs> 
Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kelly. Bye. That was so much fun. Thank you again, Naomi. It was really, really great chatting to you. And even though I don't have kids, I love listening to people's journeys through it all. And Naomi really is inspiring. I love how passionate she is about equality and raising her two little feminists. So I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you very much, Naomi, again. All the episodes of the Life Bath podcast will also have an accompanying blog post on thelifebath.com with all the information and links of all the guests, their social media, their websites, and anything that we discussed in each episode. So head to thelifebath.com now for everything about Naomi and everything she referenced in the episode. Thank you for reaching the end of another amazing episode. Please tweet me and message me what you thought and remember to like, share and subscribe. You can also email me if you want at kelly at thelifebath.com. A few more thank yous needed before we go. So thank you so much again to Tom from TMH Sounds for editing and producing this podcast. I really couldn't do this without you. And thank you to Bradley Parsons for the music. You can find Bradley on the website Fiverr. Finally, thank you again to my amazing guest, Naomi. I will see you all soon. Bye.